Pod Boys Productions. Welcome back to Movies Are Relevant on Brooklyn Rebound Network, March edition. It's March 2020. Not much going on in the world right now. Pretty boring times we live in, so we need to turn to movies. That's what I always say. Uh, your boy, Pod Drew, over here, of course. And my boy, E-Nam, over on the other end. Uh, as usual, he's, you know, we're working remotely, of course, because I'm in LA, he's in New York, so... There'd be no, that's the only reason why we're separated, of course, just due to geographical things, right, E-Nam? Yeah, I mean, I feel like if we were in the same city, we'd be in the same studio. That just makes sense to me. I think so. We'd probably be sharing drinks, and I don't mean, like, sharing, I mean, literally drinking out of the same glass and everything. Yeah, like you and I do. Yeah, like we normally do when we're in the same city. Touching faces, you know, all that sort of thing, right? I mean, so, yeah. Oh, actually, I guess some some stuff is happening in the world, E-Nam. Do you mean the primaries? Yeah. What happened with, with Bernie? I don't know. We can still do it. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. All right. Well, you know what? I was trying to put on a brave face in these times, E-Nam, uh, because we don't have a pandemic episode, a themed episode coming, which would be so topical, but... I just we just didn't have the foresight to, to do it. We already had plans for this episode. But now I don't know. I feel like we kinda look like fools over this. What do you think? Actually, if you think about the uh the text and the 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 central metaphor of both of the films that that we're gonna be talking about today, we kinda do have a pandemic episode. Hmm. You know what? When you're right, you're right. I th- I think we could always work anything in to the theme. Yeah, so Face in the Crowd and The Grudge. I'll just put it right on Front Street. That, that's the two films we're going to talk about today. Pretty disparate films, you would think, on face value. And do they have anything to do with a global pandemic we're experiencing? Just stay tuned to find out shortly how they do. <laughs> so we probably won't be able to link those to a global pandemic. But So this is going to be the episode where we talk about films that we each made each other watch that were a little out of each other's comfort zone. He made me watch a film from 1957. That's damn right. Um, go fuck yourself. From 1950, go fuck yourself. Hold on now. <laughs> and I made him watch The Grudge from 2004. Yes, yes, you did. That'll just tease it to what we're going to talk about in a few minutes. I do want to talk about a couple other things first, though, so I'm definitely going to go after your the statement you just made about 1950s films, but uh, mm-hmm. and 1957 in particular. But let's just reset it for a second since we're, we're keeping it real right now. How is your quarantine going over there in Brooklyn? I'm doing okay. I'm worried about not having enough food to level with you and I guess the listener. My stove is broken. So I'm dealing with, like, microwave only. It's not a great situation. It's not a great situation to be locked down in. Like, if delivery stops, I'm fucked. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I probably will be, too. Maybe I should go back out to the store and get some more stuff. Yeah, I mean, you should do that. Like, I know how to cook. I'm very good at it. My stove is very broken, and there's nothing that I can do. All right. 
Well, I don't know. I don't know why that unnecessary shot just happened. That's why <laughs> I don't know how to cook. But do you, though? I need the ingredients. Anyway, I could cook some stuff. Well, hey, I can make a mean scrambled egg. Toast. I actually can cook if I, like, follow. I can, like, read a recipe and do it. I just don't usually cook because I'm too <laughs> too lazy. I'd rather watch movies and stuff. But Fair. No sports now. I already watched a ton of movies. And, you know, in addition to other stuff, I do like watching a ton of sports. The second part of that's out the window for the time being, so I might have some cooking time on my hands. Who knows? I was getting ready for you to say you'd be worried. I wouldn't think food was what you're going to say you're worried about running out of, to be honest. Uh, I thought it was going to be maybe something of the the drinking variety. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the vodka and cigarettes situation, it's going to get dire if we get locked down. I will level with you on that. Off before we started, you said something about bodegas are still open, holding strong in New York, right? Yeah, for now, bodegas are still open. But if they, like, force all stores to close and everyone, like, they were considering issuing a shelter-in-place order, that would really screw me on the vodka and cigarette situation. Is it, like, you would have to learn how to make, like, toilet gen or something, like they do in prison? Yeah, yep. That's what it might come to. I would have to learn how to make toilet cigarettes. Hey, I mean, quitting smoking might not be a bad thing, E-Nam. Young, uh, by the way, you didn't hit me with a young, young quarantini or something. Young quarantini. Or something to do with the movie you watched. Young Lonesome, we're not getting to it quite yet, but uh, Lonesome Rhodes is the character for the, for the film I assigned to you. And that's, I feel like that just on name alone, that's something in your wheelhouse, no? What are you saying, man? Like lonesome, I could see you being lonesome something. Yeah, sometimes, especially now. Lonesome cat daddy, I don't know. Lonesome Morgan Avenue. You know, with this going on uh, in the world and everything, you could see like the top ten of movies people are renting off YouTube, for example, and like. Yep. But also, like number one or two is like Contagion is on there, and I think like Outbreak, the '90s movie, is like up there. So people are uh, watching these films right now in these times. It's great, great. What they should be watching is turn-of-the-century horror films based on Japanese myths, but, like, what do I know? Like Ringu or The Ring, the uh, U.S. version. Oh, yeah. Or maybe something more topical to our episode. Well, you mentioned that already, but let's do this right now, young, young lonesome. If you've listened to our recent episodes, we have dubbed one Florence Pugh, the patron saint of Movies Are Relevant podcast, have we not? Uh, yeah, so patron saint of the pod. It's unfortunate that she's not doing a movie every month so that we can continue to talk about her, but uh, just do want to shout out the patron state of the pond. She's so good in everything. That's right. So we had a, a Pew Corner where we talked about a little bit about Fighting With My Family, which we had watched, I believe, I was streaming on Amazon Prime still right now. If you want to check that one out, of course, we t- had talked to Little Women. I had talked to Lady Macbeth a couple episodes ago on my uh, my last decade catch-up, but neither of us watched any mo- I mean, we might be running out of her film. She's still a pretty uh, young actress. I'm sure there's some we could still do, but we didn't, didn't do any for this episode. So what, or what I thought of is, let's, let's try to learn a little bit more about our patron saint right here. Let's jump on Google and, and just like try to learn some more about her. What do you think about that? I think this could go south real quick. This could go to some territory that we're not prepared to go to. But yeah, yeah, clear eyes, full heart. Let's do this. That's right. We can lose. That's good. If there's something weird comes up, that'll just be good. Pod content, right? I want to say yes, but also the listener can't see your screen, so. <laughs> good thing they can. Let me close some tabs. Uh, oh, we're not screen sharing? Okay, I'll leave them open. So like I was thinking, I, I'm typing in right now, is Florence Pugh space... 
And let's see, let's see what comes up here. The, the first thing that comes up is, is Florence P. British. Do you know the answer to that, Eric? I guess we can make this a game. The answer to that is yes. Yeah, so that's an easy one. Is Florence Pugh single? What do you think about that? For her sake, I hope not. But for my sake, you know, keeping the dream alive. No, you know what? I'm going to back that up. I don't even want that. This is something I look on from afar. But yeah, for her sake, I hope she is not. Because you think you can slide in there? I will, uh, I will, I will make an attempt based on... Uh, what we find out here to slide into those dms just in case shoot or shoot oh no 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 i'm just seeing something very distressing right now i told you all right apparently she's dating someone famous this is not what i like to see i actually know the answer to this question oh my god he's like 15 years older than her all right this person is 21 years older than her do you know who it is though Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's Zach Braff. Yeah, Zach Braff. I forgot about this. That's so gross. It's gross because it's Zach Braff, not because of the age difference, in my opinion. But <laughs> I liked Scrubs. I mean, I used to watch Scrubs. It's fine. But, like, Zach Braff is one of these guys who I feel like doesn't like everyone dislike him now. Or he's just kind of like... Well, I mean, like, his post-Scrubs life has been pretty pretentious, I guess. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that uh, one film just really uh, sank people's love for him, especially what, with that Natalie Portman one. Garden State was so pretentious and bad. Didn't people like that? Didn't every girl you wanted to hang out with in high school make you watch that? Mm, no. I mean... Okay. I, I'm trying to remember now. I do think there was, like, a... At the time, I think people, some people were saying they liked it, but... And it's, like, it has that, like, line in it, like, this... The song will change your life right now and it's like a shin song or something and like he puts like the headphones yeah i think it was like an initial burst of like oh this is, could be interesting indie film zach braff and then like quickly became oh no this is bad we hate zach braff now i guess like it worked on me that whole thing because like i do like this like him, i guess it's fair i was never very fond of the shins luckily yeah like i don't know i think we're remembering this situation differently i and you are two years older than me but I think pretty much everyone my age had a favorable impression of that movie, and now it's a thing that we pretend that we didn't like. Yeah. But we're pretending that we didn't like it. But do you think you would, if you went back and watched it today, like tonight, would you like it? No, I bet it's ass if you if I watched it today. And the Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing has been thoroughly exposed, and we all know what to look for in situations like this. But I bet it's terrible. All right, let's stay on track, though. It, it, we're, this is the Pew Corner, not the Braff Corner. Yeah, well, we, we've gotten the answer to that question, which I forgot that I knew. But yeah, that is, that is pretty disappointing to me. All right. All right, number three on Google is, is Florence Pugh in Black Widow? I guess the movie that, like all other movies, is now not canceled, but uh, postponed. She is in Black Widow. We've discussed this on the pod. We have, that's right. I forgot, uh, to be honest, but... Yeah, I do remember. R.I.P. to a real one. Disney got her. Yeah, let's... Just the paragraph that comes up top says, Though she only appears in standard casual spy get-up in the teaser, Yelena, played by Pew, is a character with a long history in Marvel Comics. And that history includes taking over the mantle of Black Widow from Natasha Romanov. So, if I am reading this right... Oh! Or understanding it right seems to be saying she's going to become the Black Widow herself. So she's going to be in these movies for the entire, like, next ten years. Uh, maybe. I mean, I guess. All right. All right. I mean, this is a pretty good cast. Uh, it's got one of my other favorites in here, apparently. I'm looking at the cast list now, uh, who I've confessed 
on this pod before, I think, was uh, was a big part of my my sexual awakening. Uh, one Rachel Vise, uh, apparently in Black Widow as well. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. I Yeah, I remember seeing her in the trailer. I didn't remember seeing Florence Pugh, but I knew that she was going to be in the film. Ray Winstone is in it. He's always good. Uh, David Harbour from uh, Stranger Things. Oh, this could be good. I guess, well, I mean, this, this could lead it me into an, another a pandemic related topic here all these films are postponed theaters are all closed right now across the country across the world i'm assuming and also i guess i i saw something like some of these films might start getting released vod like new films that don't normally get that like a marvel film or something yeah is this the death knell for theaters in general my personal opinion and based on no research is that it kind of depends on how long this goes like you can definitely foresee theaters starting to close because there's no insurance for an act of god like this so i guess not just not just the issue of theaters having to close because of financial reasons now when they're not allowed to be open but even if it ends in a couple months but just with the vod thing happening are people just because a lot of people aren't going to theaters now anyway and stuff's more accessible online whatever whatever are people just going to be like we don't want to go to theaters anymore we can get black widow on on our tv you know yeah there's a chance especially if this goes on for a long time that it teaches us to mortal Kombat finish him to let right that that's the behavior that we expect now even for new movies even for event movies like i'm watching this in my home and the theater experience dies i don't know this is all catastrophizing things will be fine <laughs> things will be fine for that industry they'll get a bailout like mc theater is gonna get like fatality like their skeleton's gonna get pulled out of exactly and they're spine. Yeah. Well, as long as my beloved New Beverly Theater stays open here in L.A., which I'm sure it will, uh, I'll be fine with that. But, of course, that's a, uh, I forget what the term is, but, you know, a theater that shows older films or whatever, you know, not new releases typically. All right. All right we could wrap up Pew Corner in a second. Let's just see what else we got here, though, with the is. The is Florence Pugh. I like, I'm liking this game so far. Oh, Florence Henderson. What did I do? That's a mistake. Is Florence Pugh by is the fourth the fourth one that comes up here. So the internet is undefeated. Long live Tumblr. I'm assuming some uh, hopeful ladies, I guess, putting this one in here. I don't blame them. She's a powerful energy. Hmm. I don't think we're gonna get much of this when I clicked on it. Well, all right. Here's something. The LGBTQ critics society or whatever this is named her the rising star of the year i don't know if that implies anything like their whoever they choose has to have come out as some type of lgbtq i'm assuming not i guess but yeah i don't know i don't think because now i'm looking at this they gave like antonio banderas is that like foreign press association where they're still awarding american films i don't know i mean they gave so this, they gave, like, Antonio Banderas performance of the year for the film Pain and Glory. Well, he's definitely married to a woman. In real life, I don't know in that film, I haven't seen it, I don't know if he plays a character in that Pain movie. and Glory? Yeah, I, I think it's about, it's El Madovar, it's about himself, right? Yeah, it's about Pedro Almodovar, uh, who I believe is also not gay or bi. Yeah. I mean, everyone's a little bi, I don't... Based on the films I've seen by him, I'm certain he is not, I, I think he yeah, probably yeah, yeah. likes women. <laughs> Uh, he might have some issues with uh, his, his mother or something, but uh, <laughs> I think uh, incest might be in, in the ballpark. I don't think uh, 
gay sex is, though. Yeah, and they put Parasite as film of the year, too. So, okay. I think that's just... Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah, there's not much here. Uh, or for, for buy that. about that film. And I'm not seeing anything else. All right, let's just see what the number uh, number five thing is. Oh, is Florence Pugh married? Well, that's not... Well, she's not married yet. I'll pick one more fun one that's in the top ten here. Is Florence Pugh a natural blonde? What do you think about it? What's your pick on that? Yes, but that dusty blonde where people are like... Where you're like, well, you're not blonde. And your friend is like, I absolutely am. That's what I think. Actually, it's not really telling me, so I don't think we'll be able to get it. Come on, man. This is your segment. I know, but I, the segment was looking, was trying <laughs> to learn about it. I didn't say it would be successful. I, I'm just picking what people are. Wh- we're learning about it. We're learning what people want to know, you know, about our our. Story. You now have some facts and some conjecture about the patron side of the pod, and I hope that you take those with you to your grave, everyone. Hey, I got her zodiac sign here. Do, uh, do you want to take a guess on that? Taurus, Sun, Scorpio, Ascendant. Tarzan? That's not even a one, is it? Virgo Moon. What? I said what I said. Oh, you're, do- you're doing, putting too much extra stuff that I don't know about in here. My guy. People have multiple all things? Right. It's, first of all, it's the year of our Lord, 2020, and you're single. You have to know about these things. And I live in LA, so yeah, I especially do. But, uh, who cares if I'm single? I'm, in, I'm locked down in here, baby. It's quarantine times. Everyone's single right now, right? First of all, now is the time to flirt with no consequences, but you do you live your life how you live your life. I've just never gotten used to online dating slash whatever the new way of doing things. I'm too analog. Oh, neither have I. These are exes. These are girls from back home. I, I, I am not on an app. Well, you have your whole issue. But, like, that's what you're doing, flirting with exes uh, over texts? And saying? girls from back home. From back, I don't have girls from back home. I haven't lived in my hometown in over a decade like i just don't have i don't have that i guess i could hit up girls back from new york but right what's the point the point is no consequences drew <laughs> it's about internal consequences about how i feel about myself e-nam i don't know all right all right all right uh, she's a capricorn though that's what it says here a capricorn okay january 3rd 1996 is her birthday so i guess early because i'm january 30 and i'm an aquarius i know that much so I guess Capricorn's the first half of January. Aquarius is the second half. Most of them change around the 20th, 22nd. All right. So that was Pew Corner. I think that's a great segment. Everyone listening can, uh, if you don't want to hear us talk about a movie from 1957 and 2004, respectively, which you should, you sons of bitches. But if you don't, I hope you enjoyed Pew Corner, if I'm still calling it that. And uh, you can jump off now. Wait, 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 wait. It just came to me. The Pew Review. Pew Review, that does rhyme. I guess that is better. Pew Review. Well, here's the thing. I like Pew Review. If we're not, if we're doing a segment like we just did, when it's not talking about one of her films, does it make sense? I guess we're reviewing stuff about her. Right? I like it. That was the Pew Review. So, let's get into it. Uh, I'll reiterate what, what we did this episode, was that we assigned each other films to watch. Uh, an idea I had. I guess the main genesis of my idea was, well, for one, we don't have, uh, and especially now that we can't even go to the theater, but even at the time a month ago, we we thought there wasn't many new films that we necessarily wanted to talk about. When in the past couple episodes, we've been catching up with a lot of 2019 stuff and all that, right? But at this time, we decided to pick movies for each other, uh, something that 
is basically outside of each other's wheelhouse, right? Basically. Um, so I have confessed several times on this pod that I don't really watch movies before. I've seen 2001, and I like it a lot. So I would say 1968 is about as far back as I'll go. And my knowledge between then and 1980 is pretty fucking limited. Um, so obviously you chose a classic film directed by Ilya Kazan for me. And uh, you don't like supernatural horror films, and I think that's an absolute travesty because there's a treasure trove of supernatural horror films between around 98 and 2006 that is very dear to me. Um, so I assigned you The Grudge, starring Sarah Michelle Gellar of Buffy fame. That's right, that's right. Yeah, so just to encapsulate that again, basically, I wanted to make you watch a movie from pre-1968, I guess. Although it's, you you said you don't watch much 70s either. I mean, that's like the decade, that, but whatever. I know, I know. Like, I've seen a lot of the classics from that decade, but there are some masterpieces that I just deadass haven't seen, and I'll tell you that to your face. You will, and and it'll upset me, and you don't even care, right? I guess I care if it's up, if it upsets you, but like generally, I don't care. Well, it would upset me more than probably most other people, you know. I'm just gonna guess. So anyway, though, yeah, you picked the Grudge for me, which I had surprised. I guess you could say surprisingly never seen, since I know it was a popular film that came out when I was in high school. Because it's a masterpiece, yes. With the basis that I don't like those type of movies for the most part, and we've talked about it many times at this point on episodes, I never had wanted to see it. And did I enjoy watching it this time? We'll find out shortly. But let's start with your assignment. Well, you mentioned at least the director of it, Ilya Kazan. What did you know about this guy? Because you told me like, oh, I know this is a famous director, but did you know? Literally, I knew this was a name I was supposed to know. Okay, so he he has... Let me just pull up his um, thing real quick and see if you have seen any other films he's done. Streetcar Named Desire. Right. Marlon Brando, have you seen that? Uh, I actually have. Okay, I think we watched that in like high school. On the Waterfront, which actually I haven't seen either, but also with Brando. Mm, doesn't ring a bell. Baby Doll, which I have seen, which is one—I don't think one of his more well-known movies, but also based on a Tennessee Williams. That that one's good. Um, oh yeah, I was thinking he directed the uh, James Dean movie, but I guess not. Um, anyway, though, I assigned you a face in the crowd from 1957, a year which I'm just re- starting to realize is actually a banger of a year for movies. Um, I actually gave you a choice between two films from that year that I'd watched in the past year myself. Facing the Crowd, which you chose, and A uh, Sweet Smell of Success, the uh, Burt Lancaster film, which I watched recently, and that's really great, too. Also, uh, 12 Angry Men came out in 1957. This is a great year uh, with classic films here. What did you think about the film overall? Thoughts, without getting into the plot and all that, Like, did you like it? And did was it painful for you to watch a 50s black and white film so it wasn't painful for me to watch a 50s film in black and white i'll 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 get over my momentary discomfort at that what was painful for me about it is all the other things like i can watch a black and white film you know what was painful for me about it was all the other things like around the edges of the film that date it so horribly so, like, I recognized marks of quality in, like, some of the things that Kazan was doing with the camera, some of the things that some of the actors were doing. But this movie fucking sucks, man. Right off the bat, you're saying it's, you thought it sucked. 
and, and it sucks in the way that everything from this era is always gonna suck because he's supposed to be from Arkansas, but he's putting on like a like an Oklahoma, South Carolina hybrid accent that I don't recognize from absolutely anywhere. She, first of all, she's supposed to be from Northwest Arkansas. Her father runs the radio station and she's putting on this sassy mid-Atlantic accent that you always see in the pictures, see? Mm, fucking miserable. Well, everything happens at a breakneck pace, but nothing interesting is happening, the plot-wise. And, and it feels like, I don't know, it feels like dominoes set up to knock each other over. Because um, we, we, we have to have this plot point because I have something else later in the film that's supposed to connect back to it. But there's no blood in the film's veins. It's just like, it is plot toward an end in a way that really rubbed me the wrong way. All right, I definitely, I would say, strongly disagree with a lot of things you're saying. I mean, the accent thing, I guess, is fine. Like, you're Southern anyway, you know the difference between those accents. I didn't really remember. I guess the character's father owns the radio station. I didn't really remember that detail. I just was thinking, I didn't. I wasn't really thinking she was from Arkansas or around there. Like, that's fine, but, like, you're saying the film is bloodless. Like, this, I would say it's still pretty relevant today and, like, even predicted a lot of things. I think, like, it has a lot of, uh, it's saying a lot in terms of, like, society. I understand, and, and we'll get to that. To me, it feels like it's all unfolding in this really just chumpy, poindextery way, which, like, I have got this allegory in mind, and poetically... The audience of this film is too stupid to figure this out for themselves, so I must make it as obvious as possible, and only I can tell the story. It just felt very pretentious and, like, nothing interesting was happening. I'm all for pretentious things. I am a pretentious person, but... I don't agree that... I don't feel like this movie is pretentious at all, really. I don't, uh... In tone. It's over the top a little bit. It was a very preachy allegory. It is 1957 when this comes out. Like I said, I feel like it's pretty well ahead of its time in what it's portraying. Like, Eisenhower was the president at the time, I think, or whatever. And the media was was nowhere near what it is today, obviously. So, do you think, like, at the time it was released? I don't think people were, were saying, like, oh, this is so... What, what did you just say? So, like, uh... Bloodless? Pretentious? Yeah. Well, that's not even really what I was saying. I think people at the time would have been, like... No, I think people at the time probably thought the train was coming directly at them, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It feels like a lecture and not a film. Hmm, okay. There is like, well, I guess I need to backtrack for a second and go into the plot for people. Let's do that. Who might not have seen it. It stars Andy Griffith from, obviously, from the Andy Griffith show, who normally plays like a super nice guy sort of thing. He's like a very against type role in this, where he's, kind of like a grifter drifter guy who's very like can charm people and is very good at talking and stuff and um the other main character is a woman who works for a radio station as like a program i think she calls it a face in the crowd which is the name of the of the film just tries to find interesting people to talk about on her show and to showcase and she picks up this guy like in an arkansas prison and then he starts becoming really popular because he can, like, everyone just likes him when he talks on the radio. And he's, like, real tell it like it is. That's, like, his whole thing, to you know. So it is, like, very prescient to, like, how people are even to today. I mean, even, like, with the... Uh, so basically, the Griffith character just starts getting more and more out of control. Uh, his ego starts getting bigger and he starts, like... He moves from the small town to Memphis, then from there to New York City... 
he gets his own like late night show. I, I think it is basically like a proto Johnny Carson type of thing or something, I think, but maybe a little more about like his, not a comedy show, but, a, but more about his ideas or whatever. And he starts thinking he can tell everyone what to do basically. And everyone will listen to him. He starts getting like politicians and generals on his side, things like that. And then obviously the part, the woman who got him kind of to this point starts realizing what she created a monster a little bit and like how dangerous this can actually be. And that's, that's basically the plot, right? Right. It's about, it's about a rambler who becomes a rabble rouser who becomes a demagogue. Yeah. So that's, a simple enough plot to me the reason i really like this was a because i do think it's prescient like i do think it's kind of crazy how right they got a lot of things especially given like the trump presidency and all of that you know 60 years later almost and just the power that the media has you know in today's times and how you can influence people and then b i just i really enjoyed the performances in this a lot especially andy griffith in the lead role like i thought he was incredible honestly in this role did, did you uh, he was great in moments even allowing for the fact that like great acting in the 50s appears to just be screaming at the top of your lungs at the peak of a movie's action uh, a la stella but yeah he was fine he was he, he did some very good things she was very good i forget uh the actress's name and um hopefully she's not dead it is patricia neal let's see she is dead i mean most people in this film are dead she died in 2010 is andy griffith yeah he dead? died a few years ago um okay. walter Matthau's in this film he's dead yes he is I usually like him a lot i mean he's in this the one part maybe that i could see was a little to preach a little too much he has kind of like a soliloquy at the end of the film like telling off uh griffith's character lonesome roads and saying what's going to happen to him yes that was the one part where i was like that's a little bit much maybe i didn't love that but i thought griffith's performance and and her too was really good um i don't agree that like acting from this time is just like all yelling or whatever i mean he had some really yeah i, I thought he had some great moments even like her smell, which we talked about last time, Elizabeth Moss, some of the stuff she was doing in that, like with her facial expressions and like yeah. reacting to other people and manipulating other people. I could see similarities with his performance and that sort of thing too. 53.7. Just picked up another million. This whole country just like my flock of sheep. Rednecks, crackers, hillbillies, house prowls, shut-ins, pea pickers. Everybody that's got to jump when somebody else blows the whistle. <laughs> they don't know it yet, but they're all gonna be fighters for Fuller. They're mine. I own them. They think like I do. <laughs> Only they're even more stupid than I am, so I gotta think for them. Marsha, you just wait and see. I'm going to be the power behind the president, and you'll be the power behind me. Yeah, he did a good job. I just, it seems like every memory I have a film, I have of a film from this era, excuse me, ends with, like, the male lead screaming at the top of his lungs in the 80th minute. <laughs> well, have you seen, uh, I had mentioned it just a couple of minutes ago, but another film from 1957, 12 Angry Men, have you seen that? Oh, I have seen that. Do you like that? Uh, I saw it in school. I don't really remember. 
Um, but I know that it ends with an impassioned speech that might include yelling. It doesn't end with yelling, but... Uh, okay, but, okay. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's, like, considered one of the best films of all time, I think. And it deserves that as well. But, yeah, I'm just trying to gauge your... I mean, I do feel like you obviously have a big uh, block over some films from this era. It seems like that you're you're taking into this. Well, I simply haven't seen a ton of them, yeah. Okay, so we talked about the performances a little bit. You didn't like the preachiness, I guess, of it, or the, the what, what the film was doing, I guess you're saying. I mean, do you... I don't like it when things have contempt for their audience. That's what I don't understand. Like, I don't understand how you're saying that. Let me put it this way. This is a film not that thinks it has something so important to say that it must be said. This is a film that has such contempt for its audience that it thinks it is the only vehicle that its audience is capable of learning that lesson from. I, I don't understand why you're saying it has contempt for the audience. So in what way? It is docile and facile and just the word is preachy it believes that it has knowledge the 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 script whatever the screenplay believes that it has knowledge that is vital to your survival and doesn't think that you're capable of getting that knowledge yourself so like it's gonna take on this burden these the the filmmakers they're we they're gonna take on this burden and teach you this subject. Well, like, what's wrong with that? I mean, like, how else are people like, going to learn? I mean, that's film is a is a vehicle for... Uh, to, uh, to make a fucking movie with blood in its veins and interesting plots that don't just serve... Uh, I don't know. That just, just don't serve to put your characters in the position that they're meant to be for this allegory to come off. I don't know. Well, I mean, do you think this is, like, unrealistic? It's obviously not unrealistic for this to happen, something like this to happen, right? Especially in the in today's day and age so like no like yeah yes of of course it's a lesson that people need to learn it happened 20 years after this film it happened 40 years after this film and 60 years after this film came out i don't know it feels like every time they were coming to a moment it wasn't a moment that you had to sit and watch because the the energy in the film was so intense it felt like it was a teachable moment and gather around kids all right I guess my main point of contention with your thoughts on this is just when you keep saying it doesn't have blood in its veins. To me, this is the type of film that does have that. Like, I don't know what your definition of that is, but even if you think it's too preachy or you think it's, it's thinks this audience is dumb or something, which is kind of like what the character think obviously thinks his audience is dumb, which they are kind of, that's saying something in itself, I think. Blood in its veins to me is like a film or whatever with like something actually does have something to say, does make good points, like, does have substance, which I definitely think this does. Like, do you have a different definition? When I say shit like that, I mostly mean that there are emotional stakes, there's a clear point of view. You're saying this doesn't have a clear point of view? Oh, this film has an obvious point of view. What I mean by blood in its veins is, it feels... I'm only... I'm sorry, I'm a little drunk and I'm only coming up with synonyms for that phrase. (laughs) it feels important under its own weight, not important because it's meant to be important. Flashing back to a recent episode, when you looked at Timothée Chalamet's face at the end of um, Call Me By Your Name, everything everything in the film was happening in his face. And it didn't feel like that was being, like the filmmaker, like Luca Guadagnino, felt like he was reaching down from heaven to hand you this knowledge. It felt like you were in the moment with him. Is that anything? Am I explaining this? I understand what you're saying with that point, but to me, that's a different type of film. And this is, 
in a sense, like almost like a satire or it, it is like an allegory a little bit. Well, it, yeah, no, it is an allegory. But I don't think they need to be viewed the same way, I guess. And just I did enjoy the performances in this so much that I liked it for that reason. I guess I was really just pretty impressed with how like prescient a lot of these things were, given how old this film is, like given the way things, everything turned out. Yeah, I don't really have an answer for that point because you're you're both right and shut up. I mean, fine. Not you. Yeah, no, I know. But I'm wondering um, if you had because cho- I did give you the choice, like I said, between this and Sweet Smell of Success. I'm wondering if you would have liked that more, and I really can't think figure it out. I'll watch. I'll watch the Sweet Smell of Success this week and let you know. It's also has some of the same things of like that. That's more about the journalism industry then but you know what i'm talking about you know the charge that you get when you're watching shit go down in the movie network yeah i never felt that charge i'm gonna have a coughing fit (laughs) (coughs) you don't it's allergies yeah you gotta be you gotta be clear about that in this in this age yeah sorry Uh, i can't cough out on the street yeah network i haven't seen in a while a couple years at least but but you remember, like, there are scenes in that fucking movie where it does the same shit that, like, I'm looking for from films from 2017. Someone's delivering a monologue and your skin fucking prickles. I didn't get that in this movie. Uh, and, and this movie felt like it was swinging at that over and over again. That's what I'm saying. Like, it tried and failed to deliver that energy. I could see that. I could see your point on that. It doesn't always hit that necessarily. And you could see where it's going, obviously, the whole time. But, yeah, a lot of the Andy Griffith stuff, like his his different monologues and stuff, though, I just really enjoy it. I don't know. He was good. And there's little things, yeah, in there where it's like, well, you can just see how people are manipulated, like going against the sponsors and all that. Like, you can see how clearly this can work because he is likable in a way or people like this are likable or they are, like, fighting. They're, like, putting up this front that... They don't care about whatever. I don't care about this person's paying me this sponsor. Like, I'll say whatever I want. I'll say the real, you know, like this sort of thing. And it's just like, yeah, it's interesting to me to see how that works uh, with a performance like this. But so that it's interesting, though, that it doesn't even go far enough. Like, because now you, you can draw a line from this Trump, for example. But the end of this film is he he falls out. Of, Lonesome Roads falls out of popularity because he's caught on Mike bad mouthing his fans basically saying they're idiots you know and uh if that happened today with like trump that doesn't even matter he could like say that and uh it wouldn't even take him down at this point no yeah he thinks yeah he thinks that his followers are dumb pig people and they love that he thinks that they're hogs but it's just funny that now now in this day and age that's not even far enough like to to get people up your side yeah He's going to be, Lonesome Road says in this in the one scene where he's going to be made the secretary of national morale. I thought that was, or like, that's also like, like you could see Trump like making some radio host that praised him, like give him like a secretary position or whatever, like a cabinet position, right? Well, yeah, he kind of used up all, all the, uh, the energy that he could have doing that purging crimes from people's records, (laughs) but yeah. Yeah, he's, he's got plenty of room to do both. So disagreement, a, a Siskel Ebert-style disagreement on a face in the crowd from us. 
Listen, we have agreed about a lot of fucking movies in the last four. That's true. If you are listening to this, you're welcome. Conflict. Conflict is more interesting. It is. It Well, it's more interesting in a film, for sure, in a story. Um, but yes, in general, I think we might keep the conflict train rolling, to be honest, when we get to what you assigned me, which was The Grudge from 2004, directed by, what's this guy's name? Oh, I had it pulled up a second ago. Um, it's a Japanese name that I've forgotten, so I will let you yes, say this. I, d- I do know that it is, of course. It, j- it is uh, Takashi Shimizu. It is a remake of his own film from a couple years earlier, which is called Jew on the Grudge. Have you seen that one? Yes. I have not. This is the first time I saw this one or any of these Grudge films. I feel like I probably would have liked the the original better just knowing my own tastes and like i i probably would have enjoyed that more but i don't know do you like that one better i'm assuming you like this one the american one better you saw it first i'm assuming i do possibly for nostalgia so i love this film and it sounds like you said we were going to disagree so it sounds like i love this film and you super love this film (laughs) it's my favorite film well we'll we'll get into it but i have one question up top for you or for anyone. Is this the whitest movie set in Tokyo ever? What is the one that Sofia Coppola directed that stars Bill Murray? Lost in Translation. That's whiter. It has only those two characters. Is it? That has only those two white characters, though, right? Or, and I guess I just mean whiter in terms of like how many white people are in it more than... like. It's a super <laughs> white movie set in Japan. Yeah. And also there's the... I get the Sarah Michelle Gellar's there as a whatever. I mean, like one character, fine, and then like, but like this whole family is there, and then like it's not even just like the man and his wife taking care of their mother. Also, the sister is like in Japan too for some reason. Like she works there. Like, I'm assuming these are all characters in the original film, and they just kind of moved it over. But but it is kind of silly. I think so. Also, what is movie set in Japan? Ghost in the Shell 2016. Ah. <laughs> eh. I haven't seen it, but uh, is is that set in Japan? I didn't even know if that was in like a... Uh, yeah, that anime is set in Japan, but Scarlett Johansson plays the main character in the film adaptation. I guess I didn't even know if that was like set in like a different world or something, technically. I, I know it's obviously... Oh, no, it's there, just but... future Japan. Oh, okay. But yeah, so The Grudge, so like I said, I'd never seen it. I mean, you saw this, how old are you when this came out, like 12, 13? I saw this in theaters in 2004, which would have made me probably 13. Okay. Maybe I had just turned 14. Go ahead. Yeah, I do think this, well, I mean, do you want my overall thoughts or what do you? how do you want to do this? This film is important to me. Go ahead. Well, it's just for nostalgia reasons, mostly or... Uh, like, mostly, When's the yes. last time you watched it, let me ask you that. I watched it earlier today. Okay, today, literally. And you still really enjoyed it and everything. Um. Hmm, doesn't sound... Go good. ahead. Okay. <laughs> I'll say one bit of praise up top. Or one thing I thought was interesting, at least, that I didn't expect necessarily. I do kind of like the structure of the film. Right. It's kind of like in vignettes, I guess. The different hauntings. Yeah, that part was cool. I was pretty surprised at the lack of SMG in general, like, as what I thought was the main character... I guess she still is, but she's not in a lot of the, the movie, right? Right. So what you're referring to for the listener in case in case they haven't seen this wonderful, perfect film is that like for a large stretches of the plot, the, the ghost creature thing 
curse Kayako is following other American people who have set, set foot in that house. And so that we get these like long set pieces that are sometimes just like throwaway bits like her boss. Ted Raimi. And then really thrilling set pieces that I am just fascinated with, like with the, the sister of the original family. Right. But like they stretch on for like 10, 13 minutes at a time. And you end up not seeing a ton of Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah. Which, like I said, I was kind of surprised by. When she's not getting that Joss Whedon dialogue, it's not as great anyway, I guess. But not she's no Florence Pugh. But um, you know it's well documented. Now I don't like supernatural stuff really anyway. Or it doesn't interest me. This movie to me isn't isn't even remotely scary. I didn't even my pulse didn't move a single time. Really? Maybe if I was a thirteen year old in a movie theater with a bunch of people, it'd be different. But. It was almost to the point where I thought some of the stuff was almost con, and it probably is because it's been parodied since then, you know, and everything like that. Yes, it was almost like comical some of the stuff to me, especially like the final shot of the film. I think it was where the face pops up again. I was like, "This is like scary movie four or whatever." I don't yeah, know. yeah, I understand. Yeah, it just wasn't scary at all to me. It wasn't atmospheric either. To me. I mentioned Ted Raimi just now. He plays the boss. That's the brother of Sam Raimi, who he, he's like in all his movies and character roles um sam raimi produced that i saw and it did kind of remind me of a sam raimi movie and like the look of it which wasn't that interesting but like his films a lot of them like evil dead 2 and all this they're like they have dialogue written by him or like characters written by him so that the characters are more entertaining or funny or whatever there's like weird in the evil dead movies they have like ash character and there's like a bunch of um practical effects and gory shit and whatever and this was like that camera style and whatever and budget around general budget level of his films but without any gory stuff because it's obviously supernatural stuff for the most part um and no funny dialogue or anything and i don't know you know i don't know i just didn't it didn't it didn't do anything for me by the second half of the movie i was pretty bored overall okay Okay. Am I missing something or you think I just don't? What other things do you really like about it that I'm not seeing, I guess? I don't know. I think you're missing it being 2004 and possibly you being 13 or 14 years old. So the first time that I watched this movie, and I will confess on subsequent rewatches, both with like girls in college and and alone since then, like it's not scary, mostly because I know what's happening, but the jump scares, it's, it's like my argument for why the Beatles aren't, like, I don't need to listen to the Beatles. Everyone who could have learned something from them has done that, and I've heard it already. So to move on from that after pissing off uh, both of our listeners, (laughs) I saw this in 2004 as a budding young goth who suffered from what had not yet been diagnosed as severe anxiety, and I didn't sleep for three fucking days. Are you, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, associating is not quite right, but, like, are you associating with, like, the Sarah Michelle Gellar character, or, like, are you, you think the grudge is after you or something, like, you're gonna see this kid or this woman? That was the effect, and not specifically, like, the monster from this movie is gonna come get me, but it put me so on edge that I couldn't get out of that headspace long enough to, like, stop seeing things in the corner of my room and fall asleep. Okay. It was life-changing it opened up an entire genre to me and it's very important to me for that reason okay 
is the original one like pretty similar same story and everything just like yeah so juan is the exact same story except there are fewer white people <laughs> and then the remake in 2020 the the remake that just came out focuses on like a random town in the midwest uh re real twin peaks vibes that the original character the girl from all the 90s movies that isn't sarah michelle keller would have brought home with her would have brought the girl home with her it's the girl from all the 90s movies who whose name that i can never remember um uh, but she like her it's her mother-in-law who's staying in the house and has taped up the the closet and everything oh claire duval yeah, 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 yeah. okay great didn't she die in, the, in this one though? she dies but that character in this just comes home i wanted to say something about her character her actually but i was on the wikipedia just now for the grudge in general and it says the grudge 2020 is a side quill a side quill yeah like an alternate reality where that character comes home to the united states and brings the curse with her because and i know that you didn't do your due diligence and watch the grudge 2 from 2006 <laughs> but basically the exact same thing happens in that where like someone brings it home to an apartment complex in america so anyone who comes into that apartment for any reason is haunted a sequel where the same thing happens i've never heard of like <laughs> right yeah claire duvall is that actress yeah she is in a ton of 90s stuff i was thinking the whole time so she's married to tom cruise's cousin that actor is he's from lost and stuff but um they look like duvall should have been the sister and that blonde girl should have been his wife like they looked like they looked way more like brother and sister than than the other two did, didn't they? What, how did they screw that up? They did. Also, as a side cool to this conversation, I want to point out this is this is not the first time she and Sarah Michelle Keller have acted together. They were she was in an episode of season one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay, yeah, I think I kind of remember that. And also, the the sister ended up having more of a set piece anyway. I would say, which is my favorite part of the movie. The better actor and the one that looks more like the sister of this guy. Like I don't, I don't know how they screwed that up. I don't know, Katie something or other, Strickland. I, she did fine. Like she. Look it up. K D Strickland, K A D E E, which I hate that too. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't name her. I think that she does great. I just rewatched it. She she seems properly terrified and that's all you can really ask in a movie like this she was all right i mean i i guess i can't i just was like why it, the casting seemed off the the boyfriend of of smg though was a complete non-entity i felt like I, i'm not surprised he hasn't been seen since I'm assuming. yeah he's kind of a nobody he might have played a like temporary love interest in season four of buffy the vampire slayer that's something that i thought about tonight i wonder that's how i got this role <laughs> maybe i did like seeing the mom is from twin peaks that you'd kind of mentioned a second ago yeah I mentioned twin peaks at least in a different context she is uh, sarah uh what's her um sarah from twin peaks why am i blanking on the last name of the the mom of the the dead girl on twin peaks i like her and she's in seinfeld as well i think she plays the mom of uh season yes so i like seeing her even though she didn't obviously have much to do either and uh bill pullman's in it right he's He's fine. So what actually literally is happening? I was a little confused, I guess. Was the woman stalking him when she was alive, or was her ghost stalking him when, after her husband killed her? Like, she was, like, on all those pictures and stuff? Yes. I think the answer to that is yes. So, I was also a little confused when I rewatched it t uh, earlier today. So, I think what is happening is she's in love with an older professor. She has, like, dreamed up this relationship with him. And both while she was alive... And after she died, 
she has been just, like haunting him. But he had no fucking idea who she was, right? But right. But she's in all the pictures like that. There's no way that could be. Re- she was not really like someone would have, would have noticed if the same woman was like in all their pictures. Well, yeah, Kayako in in those photos looks like a normal human being, which probably means that she was doing that while she was alive. Yeah, but it just still is like kind of like so she's like stalking him and they never notice or like right. But she like happened to get right in the foreground of every shot. I don't know. Yeah. And then the energy from the energy from the scene, absolute scenes, masterclass, uh, when her husband finds out that she has this whole other like fantasy relationship that she's desperate for and murders her, her son and their cat, traps itself inside of the house and haunts uh, the families that move in after and anyone who steps foot in the house afterward and just fucking murders them just like... Steven Seagal in Out for Blood 2, which I assume is the title of one of his films. Um, just going for it. Yeah. But also, it murdered Bill Pullman when he wasn't at that house. So he was at his own house, right? Bill Pullman came to the house. So toward the end there, Bill Pullman comes to the house and sees the ghost of the kid, which is one of the devices that the that the house's curse uses to, like, trick people into whatever. So if you go to the house, then it can follow you, because, like, he died at, like I said, he died in his own apartment or whatever, right, off the balcony. Yes, if you go to the house, it can follow you. That's why, I mean, that's why it killed the sister in her own apartment. Oh, right, and, yeah, she was in her own house, too. All right, yeah, so I was trying to figure out the how, how this works exactly. I guess that makes sense. I mean, it doesn't, but I guess for what I was trying to say, it does, I guess. And that's why burning down the house, to, to spoil the ending of a film that came out, 16 years ago that's why burning down the house did not set the grudge free or in fact did set the grudge free if you've seen the grudge too so what happens in that it just goes around and kills more is that in tokyo by the way also uh no that's in an apartment building in america so it came across the world yes all right real freddy versus jason shit happening as that is this series goes along Oh, there's another, like, what does Ringu... Does the Ring Girl come and fight it? And it's, like, literally Freddy versus Jason. Like. So I don't know... I said that to describe a vibe, but I don't know if you were aware that literally there's a film in Japan where Kayako from The Grudge and... I forget her name from Ringu. Are both haunting the same group of teens, just like Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> that, well, that's kind of funny. And so, like, Kayako's the woman, right? That's the one who kills people, not the not not her son. Not the boy and ghost. Right. They're all aspects of the curse that the of of the ghost the the dark energy that inhabits house, whatever, whatever. So you weren't moved at all by any of the scary shit. Oh no, not at all. Damn. I was thoroughly terrified as a child. Or as a teen, I guess. My heart was pounding watching the the set piece that we've described a couple times with the the sister going up going up the stairwell and being followed by the ghost while the lights followed by the like ghost from below while the lights come down uh, at her and then seeing it on the uh, security camera. That still got me. I think I just can't find ghosts scary in general. Really? No, I don't think so. I don't find much stuff scary in general, but at least in, like, we've talked about slasher movies versus whatever before, versus spiritual stuff. Even in, like, a slasher movie, I might get taken in more by, like, a tense scene when it's, like, oh, it's a big guy with an axe or a blade or something. Because, like, at least that's something that can theoretically happen, I think. Sure, sure. Like, why is a little kid scary? It's not. 
even if they look creepy. Well, the little kid's scary because he does crazy fucking things with his eyes when you're not looking and meows like a cat. <laughs> yeah, but you love cats. Well, I love cats, but I don't love kids that meow like cats. <laughs> okay, I guess that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, and like I kind of talked about it, I guess, with the the atmosphere and stuff just didn't do anything for me. It was too static and flat. Other films I've seen, even though I haven't found them scary of this vein, I've liked more because of the atmosphere it sets up or things like that, or because the characters are better or the dialogue's more witty or better. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I do feel like this period in general, 2004, like the early 2000s across the board is not a good time for cinema, in my opinion. I think it was a pretty bad time overall. Yeah, there aren't a lot of superlative films that I remember from this era. I do remember a lot of the horror films from this era and really liking them. Like, I fucking love The Ring, man. See, that one I saw in the theater, I remember I was probably in, I think it was the summer between 8th and ninth grade, I was just going into high school. I went with some of my friends and, like, some girls we knew, so definitely remember not liking that much either. I think most of the time in the movie I was trying to, like... I was more concerned about the girls we were with than the movie on the screen, so mm. you could chalk that up to like me not obviously appreciating it, but because I had other things on my mind. But I do remember still in that like, and even that I remember other people were scared. I think are jumping, and it is like a different when you watch it. I mean, these these type of movies are for teenagers to watch in a theater, so it is a, a better environment. But I still just never. I feel like I was kind of like almost depressed by The Ring a little bit, or like. Maybe, again, it was my situation not making out with the girl I wanted to at the time, you know, in the movie. But I don't have a good memories of it at all, of, of the ring. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So. Ne'er the twain shall meet, bro. I fucking love these movies. Yeah, even with, I mean, that's how much I don't like this type of movies, too, because uh, this type of film, too, because at that time of 2004, when this came out, I just got my driver's license. I was 16. I would go see movies all the time. I would see almost every movie that came out in this time period, and I never saw this. So, like, that just shows you that I just have an aversion to this type of film. Um, I was seeing much worse films. Brutal. So, yeah, I mean... Brutal. (laughs) Like I said, it wasn't, like... I'm not mad I watched it. I'm kind of glad, actually, because, like, now in the mindset I'm in, want to be, like, a film historian, and I want to have seen, like, every big movie, which I would consider this to be... So I'm, I'm not upset you assigned it to me, but I don't think I'll be uh, rushing to watch The Grudge 2 unless we do this assigning thing again, <laughs> which we are going to do, by the way, but I guess I'll get into it in a second But uh, as we wrap up here. So yeah, I'll, I'll just get into it now. So for this episode, we were doing ones we assigned each other that was out of our comfort zone, which I think, as we just heard, uh, clearly worked in the terms of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for the next episode, what we want to do is assign movies again to each other. This time, try to do one you think is in that person's wheelhouse, which might actually end up being harder to pick. For me, it might be at least. I don't know about for you, but... Uh, you know what my wheelhouse is. With the caveat, of course, that it has to be one you haven't seen before, so um, that could complicate matters as well. Yeah, I do know your wheelhouse is generally, but I still get surprised by some... Like, I honestly thought you might like them. Um, face in the crowd which he obviously didn't so i don't I, it is kind of hard to tell it it was like right there it was it was hanging by a thread and uh the, the you do have snap. a bit of a contrarian nature you dash nam so all right all right all right which like you said can be good for uh conflict or for hearing arguments about you know stuff it's more interesting but 
Yeah, but so are you still on a roll with that premise for next episode? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's start thinking about it. I mean, anything else you wanted to talk about uh, either of these films or anything we talked about today? I think we covered it. Uh, I just can't wait to pick a merchant ivory costume drama because I know that those are all in your wheelhouse. That's right. I haven't seen them all either, so you might have lots to choose from. Emma Thompson's got to be involved, baby. And I could pick The Grudge. You said you haven't seen the side quote yet. I'm not going to, but I could, I guess, theoretically, right? You could do that, yeah. No. So that will do it for this episode of Movies Are Relevant. Stay subscribed to Brooklyn Rebound Network. Or get subscribed if you're not already. Check out the other shows we have. Hey, check out the show of me and uh, we just did an episode. Meaning I'm and our friend Aaron, a comedy episode. Which should be on a different feed. I believe that's going to be out on the Pod Trump interruption feed. Speaking of Trump, Aaron does a great uh, impersonation of that. I know a lot of people do it these days. But we do good improv based off it. And, uh, you know, he always interrupts me and Enam doing our own podcast that's a premise of that one so you could check that out check out drew's views my uh, youtube channel for tv reactions steven universe future doing mob psycho 100 right now in the anime episode so check that out legend of Korra coming back soon um i don't think there's that much crossover between fans of of my reactions there and uh, film fans that might listen to this but hey if there is check it out Ming Eric, your cats are doing well. You're, uh, you, have, you have your Twitter at no thanks, y'all. We're all staying quarantined, so there's plenty of time to listen to podcasts, I'm assuming. And uh, yeah, that'll do it for us. Don't let the grudge get you, and we're out of here. Peace. Productions.